You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Open your Bible to the 22nd chapter of Proverbs. Proverbs, and we will be reading the very last verse of chapter 22 in just a moment. Now, if you are visiting with us this evening for the first time, let me just say that over the past several weeks we have been looking at some commitments. We believe every individual ought to make. I think I need to give you a little background. It was some months ago when the Lord began to stir in my own heart that I needed to take a good look at the rest of my life. And Jean and I had gone off for a time of uh, uh, rest and relaxation and a time to meditate on the Scripture and a time to, to read, and we were just having a wonderful time. And the Lord began to convict me that there were some specific decisions that I ought to make, decisions which would guide me through the rest of my life. Some of these were about issues uh, that the Lord had already spoken to me uh, about years ago. Others of them were a call to a fresh commitment to decisions I had made maybe even early in my childhood. But they are all decisions every one of us would make. And uh, let me just say this. The Lord impressed me with this thought. From that moment when he was dealing with my heart until Jesus comes or I die, whichever comes first, I can be everything and do everything God wants me to be and God wants me to do. Now, there's not time for me to do my thing and God's thing. There's not time for me to have my agenda as well as God's agenda. But if I hear God and if I act upon what he says between now and when I meet the Lord, and I can say the same for you, between tonight and when you meet the Lord, you can be everything, you can do everything the Lord wants you to be. And the Lord wants you to do in the power, through the person, by the presence of his wonderful Holy Spirit when you claim Jesus as Lord of your life. And so... I have said that for the rest of my life I will be a devoted man. And we looked at the issue of devotion several services ago. And then a directed person, an individual who knows how to hear God and operates according to God's will as he reveals it by his Spirit and through his Word. And then a decisive individual, a person who knows how to make decisions. How do you make decisions? Well, we dealt with that last Sunday evening. How can you go forward knowing that the direction you're taking is the direction God wants for you. And then earlier today, we looked at a major issue, and that was the issue of discipline. I will be a disciplined person. And you understand, don't you, that without discipline, your life will have very little impact or influence, very little accomplishment, because you see, discipline is what happens when you take all those forces that God is working within you for the life he has given you, and you bring them down so that they make an impact. They are concentrated in certain specific areas, and you begin to accomplish things. And so we looked at the arenas of discipline, body, soul, and spirit, and how do you acquire discipline? It's communicated, and it's caught, and it's confirmed, and then it's challenged, and you conquer, and then you move on to another level. And we looked at the achievements of discipline, the, the knowledge that God is at work in your life, the expanding confidence you have in God, the, the platform you have to display the convictions which God has put in your heart. And, and finally, you, you see the wonderful opportunity you have to, to not only find the command, commendment of God, of God, God commending you, 
and saying, uh, well done. But also, occasionally, there might even be commendment that comes from men. Uh, not always. It's not the thing you look for. But in Daniel's experience, it was, wasn't it? And in Joseph's experience, it was because of discipline. People love to see a disciplined individual, even though they may think what he believes is crazy. There's something about a person whose life is disciplined. And now this evening, I want to speak to you on the issue of diligence. Now, diligence at its heart is just a disciplined life consistently applied. A disciplined life consistently applied. I would have to tell you that the more I've studied about this subject, the more I realize how little we know today about true diligence. And I know there are people here this evening who would stand and give testimony, and you would say, look, I know about diligence, and I'm sure there are, because there are people in this congregation whom I admire and from whom I have learned because of their diligence, a, distant, a disciplined life, and that discipline is consistently applied. I was very blessed to to learn about diligence uh, from my own family members and from my grandparents. In fact, my grandfather on my mother's side was a wonderful man of diligence. As a matter of fact, when after he was 90 years of age, we took his Studebaker truck away from him because he, driving into town with a load of potatoes, ran into the side of a boxcar. Didn't see it. It was just a big boxcar out there. It was just so big he thought the sky was gray and ran right on. And uh, we took it away from him, and the next morning, he hooked up a John Deere tractor to a wagon and drove it with potatoes nine miles into town. He was a man who knew about diligence, and his desire was to work. He used to say, Tom, he said, work will not hurt you, but thinking about it will kill you. And um, he, uh, he was a man of diligence. My grandfather on my dad's side was a man of diligence. He preached right up till he was 92, and a day after he preached, he went on to meet the Lord, but he was a diligent man in all of his ways. A few moments ago, I went into my office and picked up the telephone to call a friend of mine who lives in another town in this state. I had to call him to ask permission to share what I'm going to share this evening. His wife said he had already gone to church ahead of her. In fact, I believe she was ill this evening. So I said, well, would you tell him that I'm asking you for permission to share his story? And she gladly gave me permission. I need to tell you his story because the verse which we're going to stand and read together in just a few moments is a verse God gave me about this man many, many years ago, over 20 years ago, in fact. You may not know this, but uh, uh, sometimes when I'm just sitting up here looking out here and loving you or standing up here and preaching and, and watching you, um, Sometimes God just sort of hangs one of those, you know, like cartoon balloons right over your head and just says to me, this is the verse that describes this person. And many times, I mean, honestly, it's sort of fun, funny. Uh, some people come and say, what is, my, what is my verse, Brother Tom? And, you know, if I don't know it, I usually give them one like, go to the ant, thou sluggard, or something of that nature, um, something that doesn't mean anything. But um, for many of you, I mean, there, there are verses, and I know, and I've had this privilege many times, when uh, I stood here and, and we've had a memorial celebration for some saint in our church who's gone to be with the Lord, the text that I use for the message is the verse that God had given me maybe many years ago to describe that person. And this verse we're going to read together in a few moments is a verse God gave me in 1973 as I watched this man and as I learned from his life. You see, in his early life, he was nothing but um, just a scoundrel. 
in the worst sort of way. His father, all, virtually for a living, practiced theft. As a matter of fact, this, this, this young man was very small as a boy, is small also as a young man, and his father would, would take him to houses and break in a window, and because he was small, he would push his son through the window, and uh, his son would go around, open the door, and let his daddy in, and they would come in, and they would take everything that they could that was of value and that they thought they could use from this house. That's how he grew up. Even before he was a teenager, he began to drink. Sometimes as a teenager, he would wake up, and his family members would have tied him with a rope to a tree because he would have been assaulting his mother or, or doing something else that was harming everyone. And so they, in that drunken stupor, they would just take him out to a tree and put him against it as a teenager, wrap ropes around him and tie him to that tree. He entered the Navy. And uh, because of his drinking problem, because of his, his rowdy life, and because uh, he cared very little for discipline and for authority, it wasn't very long before, after all the fighting and all the drinking, that he received a dishonorable discharge from the Navy. He came back to Oklahoma, didn't know what he was going to do with his life. He signed on as a, as a member of a framing crew. He was the least member of that framing crew. He knew very little about it, and he began helping that crew frame houses. You'd have to see this guy. He's, he's small, but he's wiry. And, and he learned how to drive those nails as he'd frame with one lick. I mean, wham, like that, just like those guns do now, you know. And, man, he learned how to pound those things in there, and he was really fast. One day, when he came home from having spent all that day out in the heat and framing that house, his wife said, we're going to go to a revival. He'd never been to one, didn't want to go to one, didn't want to go inside the church. But he sat there and listened to the preacher preach, and when they got to the invitation, the preacher, literally in this small country church, got down and stepped over some pews and came back and took him by the hand and said, you need to give your life to Jesus. Now, I don't remember whether he did it right that night or whether it was later on in talking to that preacher, but this man, old Charlie, gave his life to Jesus. And it was a radical transformation. Now, friends, if you have somebody that tells you, look, you trust Jesus, but don't expect any overnight changes, they're not talking about the same Jesus that is preached in this church, all right? Because when you come to know Jesus, old things are passed away, all things become new. Life doesn't necessarily get easy, but you're no longer fighting God. It's God within you in this world. And um, it just changed his life. Things that he had been a slave to, his, his language and habits. I mean, God just broke the shackles of those things. And there he was out in the hot sun one day, pounding these nails and, and walking a ridge line. And he said, I, he said, it wasn't audible, but the Lord just spoke to my heart and said, Charlie, you know, if you can frame these things, you can build them. And he got down off of that house and went home and told his wife, he said, you know, I'd like to build a house. And so he went out and, and he built the house. He said, while he's built, the Lord said, you know, if you can build these things, you can sell them. And so he sold the house. That was the first of what I guess now are thousands of homes, beautiful, custom homes that that man has built. God taught him how to tithe. God taught him how to share Jesus with people. He used to be my Saturday morning visitation partner. And we'd go out and sit down and talk with people about Jesus, and, and old Charlie would start crying. I knew he was going to start crying the moment he opened his mouth. He'd start crying when he told people how Jesus had changed his life. I watched that man in his business. I watched him when the economy went through a time where everything slumped, and some of you folks know about that time right here, and he lost everything. 
I watched him in his generosity with his church, in his eagerness to share, in his faithfulness to attend. And one thing I noticed about this man was that he was a diligent man. There were certain disciplines in his life, and he applied them consistently. A diligent man. And so God gave me this verse. Let's stand together and let's read it. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29. And here's what we read. Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean, or the word there literally obscure, or low life. He shall not stand before obscure men. He shall stand before kings. Now listen. It doesn't say that a diligent man who is intellectually astute will stand before kings. It doesn't say that a diligent man who's had all the training in the world will stand before kings. A diligent man who's good-looking and naturally charismatic with his abilities, it doesn't say that. It simply says that God has a rich reward for diligence. Could I share something with you that the Lord shared with me years ago? I was sort of grousing around about, you know, the 24 hours day, a day work. And I mean, well, you know, I mean, it had been one of those weeks where it seemed like, every, you know, an 80, 120-hour week. I don't know what it was, but it was just a long week. And I was saying, Lord, you know, um, would you just bless our work? And the Lord spoke to my heart, you know, not audibly, but just however it is God speaks to you. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, Tom, wake up. The work itself is a blessing for you. Sometimes we look at that which God gives us and we say, man, I just wish I could get away from it. I could get out of it. It could be that the very thing you want to run from is the thing God is using to bless you. I promise you that's true if you will be a diligent person. See a man who is diligent in his business. He will stand before kings. God promises he will not stand before obscure people. And Father, I pray in these next few moments you would bless this which is your word filled with life. It's a living word to us. Bless it, Lord, to our hearts tonight. And Father, I pray that there would well up within us this commitment. I will be a diligent person for the rest of my life. Lord, for some that will be the breaking of a lifetime of habits. For others, it will simply be an endorsement of a life they're now living. Maybe they were ready to faint. Maybe they were ready to throw in the towel. But Lord, show us what it means to be a diligent person and the promises you have for diligence. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, this world is starved for people who are diligent. Notice I didn't say people who are busy, you can be busy and not diligent. Notice I didn't say people who have big positions. I remember a lady coming to me one time, she was very frustrated with her husband. He had gone for several years without work. And um, she came to me and she said, Brother Tom, she said, we're just about to dry up on the vine here. And she said, she said, would you pray this for my husband? And I thought it was tremendous insight of a wife. She said, would you pray that my husband would quit looking for a position and just be satisfied to get a job. You know what she was saying? That this man was interested in his appearance more than he was in just working. And there's a, there's a dearth in our nation of people who understand what it is to be a diligent man or a diligent woman. 
these students who are here. Just as we talk about discipline this morning and the importance of discipline in your studies, it's important to be diligent as well. And so you have your Bible open here to this verse. See a man who's diligent in his business. He shall stand before kings. He'll not stand before obscure men. Let's take just a few moments to define diligence. What is a good definition of diligence? I've already said it is discipline consistently applied, but it's more than that. And so let's look in the Scripture to see what the Bible says about diligence. If you were to take a few moments and just to look at this word with all of its references in the Scripture, you would see that in the original language of the Scripture, there are really three shades which, which uh, give a tint, a hue, to, to this word diligence. And so let's look at these little shadows of truth. All of them together have to do with what diligence is. First of all, it has to do with ability. Now, sometimes when it's used, it refers to ability. There is a diligent man. Sometimes in the Scripture, it means that there is a person who is skilled, and also a person, sometimes it means a person who is quick. Now, let me just say that just running around, kicking up a lot of dust does not necessarily mean that a person is diligent. But you know there's a difference between a person who knows what needs to be done and who does it quickly, that is, in good and appropriate time, and a person who knows what is to be done and just keeps putting it off and keeps putting it off and keeps putting it off and says, I'm going to get to that. I'm going to take care of that. I will handle that. Well, in the end of the day, you know, sure enough, maybe that individual has gotten the job done, but diligent per a diligent person is someone who is different than that. A diligent person who sees what needs to be done, knows how to do it, and just does it. He doesn't wait around for others. He just does it. Now, that's one of the characteristics of diligence. It has to do with ability, but there's even more. Diligence also has to do with attitude, with attitude. If you look at the Scripture, you'll find that on one occasion, for instance, this word for diligence is interpreted or translated as being ready. Now, that means being ready-mind, being ready-hearted, uh, willing, eager, I guess would be another word uh, that we could use here. To be ready. I'm ready. I'm prepared. A lot of times you ask people if they would like to, to get involved in something, they say, well, let me think about that. And they think about it, and you know when they're saying that to you is, what they're really saying to you is no, but if I think about it long enough, you'll give up and get somebody else to do the job. Now, what diligence means is that a person is in a ready state of preparation. I'm ready to do that. I'm, I'm eager to do that. Also, it means that an individual is prompt in getting it done. You know, there are a lot of times when you say to somebody, will you do that? Yeah, hey, listen, I'm ready to do that. Well, we start right at 6 o'clock, you know, and, and 6 o'clock rolls around, and that individual's not there, and... 6.15 rolls around, that individual's not there. 6.30 rolls around, and finally others just go ahead and do it. You see, a diligent person is not only a person who's ready, who says, yeah, I want to do that, and I can do that, and I know that that needs to be done, but a person who is prompt. Let me just say a word about that. Sometimes we have the impression that, that it's cool to be late. Have you ever known that? It's just cool to be late. I know people who like to just, they, they love to be late. Now, you would think that they're exercising good stewardship of their time, but they're not. They just love to be late. They just, you know, it's just fashionably appropriate to be late. And um, everything's always done at the last minute. We always leave at the last minute. We always arrive at the last minute. You know, it's it, it just, it just cool to be late. The irony of that is they do not realize how many hours of time they waste. Oh, not their time. If they want to waste their time, that's fine. But the time of the people who are waiting upon them. You're late. I'm late to preach a, a message by a 
by a minute. Let's suppose you're sitting here twiddling your thumbs and I'm over there drinking a glass of water. You know, it's while I go, I drank that thing, spilled all over this tie. Good thing I wasn't wearing a khaki uh, suit. I mean, I look down, here's water on my tie. And my wife says, the older I get, the sloppier I get, you know. And, and uh, so suppose I was just sitting there drinking water and you all are out here. Well, how many hundreds of people are out here? I don't know. But if you multiplied that times a minute, they, one minute for every person, there would be hours of people's time I would be wasting just by being late a minute, right? And diligence has to do not only with, I see the job, I'm ready to do the job, I can handle it and I can do it well. It has to do with promptness. I'm prompt. And so it's ability, it's attitude, but it's one other thing. And this is something that is so rare in people's lives. It's amazing. It has to do with attentiveness, with your attention. Notice it says here, see a man who is diligent in his business. Have you ever noticed how easy it is for us to be doing our business and to become distracted? Now, you kids at the university and you high school students and junior high students are going to really get a taste of this. Of course, this year it'll happen uh, like it always happens. Here you are studying away and, you know, your time to do this work. You've only got about five minutes to study for this term exam uh, already. And somebody comes by and they says, I've got a question I want to ask you. And you'll wander over to the to the dorm room that's across the hallway, 1.30 or 2, you'll come back and you still, well, now I've got maybe just three minutes to study for my term exam. Somebody else comes by and it's so easy, you know, if you're one of those loyal, dedicated kind of people who love to get involved in other people's problems, you'll go to some other place and you'll work till the sun comes up solving another, people's pro another person's problem. You know, there, there, it's commendable to care for other people, but I want to tell you, a diligent person is an individual who knows the arena in which he's supposed to be working and gets that done and gets that done. I, uh, I know we all have different kinds of personalities. And I, I can tell you quite honestly, I'm not a, I'm not an office type like, uh, office, you know, kind of person. I really, that would not be my preference to spend time in an office. And, you know, I can remember when I first started pastoring, I would do almost anything rather than go to the office. I would check the mail two or three times. I'd run an errand over here. I'd go chase after that rather than just come and get the Word of God, spend time before God, spend time with the people of God, doing what the church had called me to do, doing what God had called me to do. Now, I'm not saying it all ought to be done in the office. I think paperwork is a whole lot more important than paperwork. But what I'm trying to say to you is this. It is one thing to be able. It is one thing to be ready. It's another thing to show up on time and be willing to do it. But it's a far different thing for you to give attention to your work your assignment. And so it's important for us to understand that diligence in the biblical sense means that you bring the abilities you have with an attitude that is ready and willing, that you apply yourself not in a slothful fashion, and that you do so with an attention to the work God has given you. Let me just tell you something. I know that when I went to the university, and I'm speaking especially to those university students who've shown up a little early here, but when I go to the university, went to the university, it was, I knew that there was something beyond the university for me, and I was eager to get out. You know, I almost had to talk myself, I did have to talk myself into going every semester I went to school, and it's amazing. I went on to graduate school, and, and even more schooling after that, because, I mean, every time I just had to give myself a little pep talk, go back to school, go back to school, you've got to do this. And, you know, it's an amazing thing. I saw what was going to happen after the education so much that I forgot many times 
that God not only calls people to serve him, he calls people to prepare to serve him. And that when you're in that setting, you see, you're there to give diligence to the preparation for serving. If you look at all the people of God whom God used, God gave them plenty of preparation time. Think about it. Moses, 40 years in the backside of the desert, undoing 40 years that were in Egypt so that at the age of 80, God said, I'm going to give you a diploma. Now go back and do what I called you to do. Preparation time. You say, well, what if Moses skipped all of that? Well, he wouldn't have been prepared. He wouldn't have been ready. And by the way, he tried to skip all of it 40 years too soon, and, e and Egypt wasn't ready, Israel wasn't ready, Moses wasn't ready, and most of all, God wasn't ready. God called him to prepare. The Apostle Paul went away in the wilderness for some three years, just dropped out of sight. And when he came out of that, he said, you know, I went down to Jerusalem to check out with the big boys to see if they, if they had something to tell me or if I was doing the right thing or if I might give them some information. I discovered that not only could they not add to what I learned, but I had a few things to tell them because I'd taken the time to prepare in the wilderness under the teaching, the tutelage of the Holy Spirit. And so a diligent person is a person who takes that attitude and applies it to the work to which God has called you. It's easy to get so concerned about other people's work. I mean, I imagine we look out here right now, there are a lot of you who spent more time trying to try the O.J. case than you have giving attention at the office where you work. I don't know, see, well, you know, uh, got to go be sure and check those blood samples. Why? That's not your work, friend. Diligence means apply yourself to the work to which God has called you, all right? Now, that's the definition of diligence. Now, let's, let's look at the distinction of diligence. The distinction of diligence. Diligence is not often seen, and that's why he says, see a man. In other words, the inference here in the original language is, if you can find a man, or they're so rare, they're easy to spot. Notice he doesn't say, see all those uh, diligent people out there? Now, if you spot a lazy man, let me know, because I want to. No, 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 no. He says that a diligent man surfaces out of all the others. He said, you see that man who is diligent in his business? Now, why is it so rare to find a person who is diligent? By the way, a diligent person is not necessarily a workaholic. You see, that's not the only business to which God has called you. If you're a man, he's called you to be a man. He's called you to be a father. He's called you to be a husband of that wife. You have a family. You have other responsibilities. Uh, work is one way you make a living, but there's a life beyond the way you make a living. And so being a workaholic is not necessarily being diligent. It may be being foolish, you see, because you're ignoring what God's called you to. Why is it so rare to find an individual who is truly diligent? Now, let me tell you, this is an important question because unless there is some diligence in your life, you will accomplish what God has for you only minimally. In fact, it will be so rare that you accomplish what God has for you because you are not diligent. You're not about your work. God has these wonderful plans for you. He says, I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord your God, thoughts of good, not of evil, to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. God says, those are my thoughts towards you. How will it be that what God wants for us to do will be accomplished in our life? A disciplined life, devoted to him, directed by him, decisively for him, but diligently applied. Why is it so rare to find a diligent person? First of all, let me just tell you, it's against nature. It's just against our nature to be diligent. Now, I know you meet people, you know, you say, well, they just, this person's just a natural workhorse. There are people like that. 
There are people like that. You say, you know, you give a job to him, they're just going to work themselves to death. And that may or may not be commendable. As I said, there are people who, who have a reputation for being the ones you give a job to because it'll get done. But why are people like that so rare? It's just against nature. You see, the nature with which we're born is a sin nature. And uh, to be lazy, to be slothful, is to be a sinner. Now, we're born again, we receive Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. He wants to live within us in all fullness. But you know what happens? We begin to paint little boxes in our life. We say, now, Jesus, you're Lord of my life, but now there's part of this that I want to do, and this is my time, and I always set aside an opportunity to do this, and I don't want you interfering with that, and this is the way I'm... Oh, wait a minute. You see, it's just against sin nature to be diligent. Because slothfulness is sin. If you look at the, verse of Pro, uh, the book of Proverbs, you'll find that over and over uh, we read about the sin of slothfulness. The Bible says, for instance, in Proverbs, that a man who's slothful turns on his bed like a door on its hinges. Like a door on its hinges. He just doesn't get out and do anything. It says that a slothful man does not roast that which he took in hunting. All he's in is for the kill. Pow! He, has, he cares nothing about it. going out there, using that which he got to feed his family. A slothful man doesn't care anything about it. All he's in life for is the thrill, but he is not interested in taking that which God has provided and using it in a productive way. Oh, by the way, did you know that's a good verse for every church to think about when you're winning people to Christ? You see, it's real easy, isn't it, for us to get more interested in the kill, more excited about that. Well, there's another one. There's another. There's another. Than it is to grow them up in maturity in Christ. Good verse. Has to do with diligence in terms of the way we take care of the people whom God sends our way. It's just against sin nature. Oh, there's another reason diligence is so rare in our society. True diligence, honest, good diligence. Not destructive nature, but the right kind, spiritual diligence. There's another reason that we don't see it often. It's not necessary in our society. Do you know why there is within, listen to this, there is a clamoring in the heart of sinful people for what we call socialism? Now, now the most recent failure of that, of course, we see in terms of communism, but communism is a little different than socialism, but, but socialism, you know why there's a clamoring in the heart of people for socialism? That is, that it's the government's job to take care of all of us because it makes diligence unnecessary. But not really, because what you have is fewer and fewer diligent people supporting more and more who refuse to be diligent. It's a failed system. But we try to develop a system that does not make diligence necessary. In a, in a poll taken, I guess, maybe three, four years ago, they were asking men what their aspirations were in terms of their future at their particular work. And, and every one of them wanted to move up the ladder. Nothing wrong with that. I sure would. I think we ought to have ambitions and aspirations. We ought to have dreams and goals and desires, of course. But then when these men who were taking the survey got down into some questions that would reveal the heart of these people. You know why they wanted to get a bigger position? So they could, listen, so they could do less. You see, their idea was that if they, got a, if they moved up a little bit, 
that they, that they just had to work as hard. And if they got right to the top, hey, everybody served them. They didn't have to serve anybody. And so the desire, whether it was being promoted through the ranks of the military, whether it was moving up the corporate letter, ladder, whether it was moving through the system in some company for which they were working, their desire was to advance in order to do less. And so we develop a society that says, well, it's just not necessary for me to work hard. Hey, I'm going to get the same amount, X amount per hour, X amount per week, X amount per year, whether I work diligently or slothfully. And by the way, we build systems. We build in laws that say, you can't fire me either. And you can't displace me. And you can't ever criticize me for being slothful. You've got to keep me here. You've got to pay me whether I produce or not. Now, isn't that the society we're developing? Of course it is. You see, it's our heart's desire to, to make diligence unnecessary. Do you know why most people work real hard? It's so they can rest. Did you know that that is precisely a 180 off of what the Scripture says? The Scripture doesn't say that the goal of life is to rest. The Scripture says that the goal of life is to be productive and that the Sabbath, the day of rest, was made for man. To make man what? As he worshiped God, as he rested, as he focused on the Lord, to make him produce better. You see, it was rest to work, not work to rest. You ask the average person out here, what are you looking forward to? My day of retirement. Well, I, I don't want to get off on that too much because I know some of y'all are gleefully looking forward to that. And the one thing I love about First Southern is we got a broom for you the day you retire. We do, and you know that. You get right back, and you can sort of work your way up. You can go from a broom to a vacuum cleaner to something else at First Southern and our volunteer force, and you can help the other people who work so diligently around here. I mean, they really work diligently. But there are a lot of people whose goal in life is to retire. I think that may be the reason that one of the highest incidences of heart attack or heart problems is in the month and the year immediately following what? Retirement. Because, you see, God has meant for us to have purpose and work and vision and goal and dreams and aspirations. God wants us to produce to the day we die. So the last day on this planet is our day of greatest use to him because God doesn't leave us here without purpose. God has a purpose for us, for our lives. Well, let's look at the destiny of a diligent man, and then we'll draw to a close. The destiny of a diligent man. See, a man is diligent in all his business. He shall not stand before kings, or shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before obscure men. Now, what God is saying here is that a diligent person, and he doesn't say a diligent smart or a diligent charismatic or a diligent lucky or a diligent anything person. A diligent person. That's the reason I said this morning, do not model in your home people whose fame or fortune came through luck. The most devastating thing we could do right now in our state is to prove the lottery. The get-rich-quick lottery. It'll destroy people. It will, it will model a lifestyle that will say, look, you don't have to work to eat. Just play your cards right. Play the numbers right. Bet on the right horse. Pull down the right numbers, and you're fixed for life. You're set, man. That's not God's plan. And if you will look at people who are diligent, here, here is Joseph. 
He was diligent. He served his dad. He was taking food out there to his brothers and to Saul when he came upon Goliath. Everything he did for a certain period of life, he did with a measure of diligence, and he failed when he became lazy and didn't go out to battle with his army. And so what happens to a person who is diligent? Well, first of all, the Bible says he shall stand before kings. You know what that means? It means that wise men will spot him. That's right. Wise men are conscious of him. I'll tell you, a person who really knows God and knows the ways of God and knows the high value God places upon diligence, those people are conscious of a person who is diligent. By the way, ask Joseph one of these days at the end of his life when he was elevated overnight in a matter of hours from being a prison trustee to being chief administrator of Egypt. And that came to him because of the diligent application of his life all those years in the house of, of um, Potiphar, in Pharaoh's prison, going through richest to rags to riches to rags to riches. He was diligent in his business. Whatever was given to him, whatever your fi hand finds to do, do it with all your might, the Scripture says. And so wise men are conscious of him. Football teams are being assembled. Games are already beginning to be played. You know what? We've got coaches in this church who will tell you. They're not just looking for somebody who's got it all together athletically. There's an attitude they're looking for. And many times, the young man that goes out on that football field may not be the quickest, the biggest, the most clever, but he'd be the guy that came to all the practices and applied himself diligently. Remember what Tom Landry said when he was over here at Starlight? He said three things. We look for integrity. We look for ability. But at the at the core, we look for attitude. Will he apply himself? And many of the athletes have gone down the tubes because of a refusal to be diligent in the business assigned to him. You see, wise men are conscious of diligence. Wise men, listen to this, wise people commit themselves to diligent people. We've got any number of school teachers out here, and I can tell you something about school teachers. They want you to succeed. They're not into, they don't want you to fail. They want you to succeed. You start with an A in that class. If you get something less, you got it. They, they want you to succeed. But I want to tell you something about teachers. Teachers go the second mile for a student who is diligent. I'm going to stay with him. I'm going to help her. I'm going to give them extra time. I'm going to somehow convey to that person, I am going to help them make it through this course. How many teachers do we have here? Raise your hand all over. Come on, raise your hand. Look at this. Woo. Praise the Lord. All over. All right. Am I telling the truth or am I lying? Nod your heads one way or the other. Yes, of course. You commit yourself. You're conscious of a person's diligence, and you commit yourself. You say, I'm going to see that person somehow makes it. What about somebody who's got all the ability, all the talent, and fools around? You're probably going to commit yourself to their comeuppance. 
He's going. He's got a. He's running head on into a freight train with you. If they've got the ability and do not apply. So wise people are conscious of that. You go out here and you find some of you men who are CEOs of your corporation, or you sit in positions of importance in terms of many, many people working for you, and you know as well as I do that the man you want, the woman you want out there, somehow in that, in that, in that place is a diligent person. And you probably, you know what I've discovered? I've always been interested in who people at one level of authority fellowship with. You know what I've discovered? I've discovered it's not always the guys who are his peers. If he is a wise man, you're probably going to find him drinking a Coke with some young man who's diligent. And that wise man is not going to pour his life into somebody who may be his equal in position but could care less. He's going to pour his life and his energies in some young man down the line who's got that spark of diligence. Because why? Trust all you've learned to somebody who doesn't care anyway. He will not stand before obscure men. He will stand before kings. Wise men are conscious. Oh, by the way, why else will he go to king, before kings? He'll get booted up there by foolish people. That's right. You see, not only are wise people conscious of a diligent man, but foolish people are convicted by a diligent man. They're glad to see him go. Man, he's putting in too many hours. That guy's working too hard. Look, we're only supposed to get three of these. The boss, is, the boss is perfectly pleased if we turn out three of these. He better not start turning out four or five because we've been doing three for years. And so what does the foolish person The foolish person says, hey, get the diligent guy out of here, would you please? And so in his life, there is this pull upward. So at the end, here is the destiny. He will not stand before obscure people. He will stand before kings. Dear friend, in your deepest heart, would you say that for the rest of your life, by the grace of God who works within you both to will and to, your, and, and to do of his good pleasure, will you say tonight, for the rest of my life, I will be a diligent person. Father in heaven, we trust that your Holy Spirit now, leading in our hearts, will bring us to a fresh commitment of being busy about the business you have given us. Not lazy nor slothful, for we know that we will one day at the judgment seat of Christ give an account of the way we have used every moment, every opportunity of our life. But, Father, how I pray you would bring us to a fresh calling of diligence. I pray in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, the praise singers are coming. Counselors, would you come right now and stand here? In a few moments, we're going to stand together. We'll be singing a hymn of invitation, and you know what this is. This is your invitation to respond to what God has spoken to your heart. Now, for some, maybe many, you just simply need to come to this altar, kneel down here and say, Lord, I need to be a diligent person. I can't do it. I've made resolution after resolution, so it's going to have to be your grace. But if I understand your grace, it's what happens when you give me both the desire and the ability to will and to do of your good pleasure. So, Lord, I'm seeking your grace for diligence in my life. I'm seeking your grace for diligence in my life. I believe there are people here. In fact, our counselors in a few moments will be coming. Our prayer warriors will be coming. There are some of you who've made decisions in earlier services. We've not introduced you, and we want to introduce you in this service, so you just come and be seated over here to my left where it says seating for new members. You were baptized this morning or this evening, or you joined our church in one of these 
several services will you just come and be seated over here in just a few moments when we stand. I believe there are people to whom the Lord's speaking about becoming part of this church family. God's speaking to your heart. Why not just settle that tonight? As the Lord leads you, just step out the aisle, make your way forward as an individual or as a family. Just say, look, this is where we, this is where I want to plant my life in serving with you, serving Jesus. I, I can identify with what's happening here. I feel the tug of God. The blessed Holy Spirit speaking to my heart to say yes. And so I want to do that tonight. What a wonderful time, wonderful moment. The Bible says if a man knows what is right and does it not, to him it is sin. So if you just know what's right, when should you do it? Now. Now. That's why the Bible speaks about today is the day. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call you upon him while he is near. So as God speaks to your heart, and people are coming to this altar already, as God speaks to your heart, you just come. And dear friend, I believe there are those here who more than anything in this world, anything in all of eternity, you need to know that you're right with God. You heard from two people tonight who grew up in church but didn't know Christ as Savior. See, you can know a lot about Jesus and not know him. But Jesus says if you will repent of sin and by faith receive him as Savior, that you'll have the privilege of not only having every sin forgiven, but you'll have eternal life. What a wonderful gift that he is willing to give you if you'll just turn from sin, turn to him, 